Hey, look, just as we get into this, let me ask you, when was the, the last time you, you saw something that, that kind of made you well up and made you cry a little bit? I was up in uh, Sheffield yesterday, my godson's wedding. I, I, remember, uh, I remember when he was a, a toddler throwing yogurt around the dinner table, and there he was yesterday with his, uh, with his bride saying to each other, I will, and I found myself uh, welling up at various points. It's funny how things catch you. Or during the week, somebody sent me some uh, YouTube video clips. Do you you get those? Uh, They were about, have you ever seen them? People getting those cochlear implants that allow them to hear for the first time. Watch several of them. I was in pieces during the week. I think we've got one, if the volume's up, that we can hear and have a look at. (laughs) It's like so close. Now, technically, your device is on. Can you tell? Oh, that's exciting. Here, you can put it down for a second. Just get used to the sound. What does it sound like? Oh, you're messed up, guy. Can you hear me? And you hear your voice? Does your voice sound pretty loud? Um, no, not really. Well, that's good. <laughs> My laughter sounds loud. Yeah, you'll get used to all of that over time. <laughs> Do you want to hear your husband say something? <laughs> If you didn't hear that last line, um, uh, the person helping her said, do you want to hear your husband say something? Um, if you've got half an hour and you do a search on the internet, you can find lots of those videos. I was watching them. I was in pieces. Um, and as I was watching them, it, it reminded me, made me think about the line in our reading uh, that we had this morning. <clears throat> Did you spot it? Where the crowds say about Jesus after he heals the deaf man, they say, he has done everything well. You can just read it like a line, can't you, in a story, Uh, and if it's not been your experience, maybe not grasp what the emotion of it must have been like. A man who's deaf can't speak, hearing for for the first time. I I find the videos that I watched this week, they were just delightful, but what we've got here in this passage is meant to move as even more than a, a video for two, uh, that we watched for two minutes. Come and look at it with me. Look, let, let me give you, it's a big passage. If it helps you get into it, there's, there's three big parts in our passage. We, we've called this series Table Talk. There's lots of feeding things. So it's a bit like coming, it's a bit like coming uh, to a table uh, and you look at the main courses uh, and there's look, three big sections in it. If, if you want to, a kind of way of following through this passage. There's a healing, isn't there, in chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. Then there's a feeding, chapter 8, verses 1 to 10. And then after that, there's a warning, which kind of catches us off guard. There's 
it kind of changes the, the tone a little bit. Verse 12, where Jesus begins to say, be careful, watch out. Uh, you, you come to this kind of dining table, and there's the three main courses. But as you, as you look at it again, uh, this, this passage, a, a bit like looking at a dining table, you begin to notice some other side dishes. Did, did you notice, if you got it there in front of you, chapter 7, verse 37, we see that people are amazed by Jesus. I mean, they're genuinely amazed by him. 737, uh, verse 37 in chapter 7, they're amazed by what he's done. He, he makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. But then you land again in chapter 8 in verse 12, and you discover that, that Jesus is dismayed by people. That bit where he sighs deeply, there's a sense of dismay about it, and you think, what's going on? People are amazed. Uh, Jesus is dismayed. What, what's going on? Look, as we gather with Mark in this part of his account of Jesus around another kind of feeding, around another dinner table, it's good to remember what he said already. And if you're just joining us, if you've not been here over the past few weeks as we've been with Mark, as he's been telling us about what, what following Jesus is really all about, let, let me give a, a summary. It's good for us to catch up again. To this question, who is Jesus? Mark has been saying, well, he's God's son. He's God who's come to rescue. You ask the question of Mark, you know, is, if we were looking at the news this week with riots in France, with the troubles in Sudan and Ukraine, and you ask the question, why, why is the world a mess at times? And even before I get to the world, why, why am I a mess at times? Mark's been saying, look, the answer is because our sin, the way we turn from God, it leaves us guilty and captured. We can't get away from it. If you ask the question of Mark, look, what can be done about it? He's been saying, look, it's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. He's the one you're looking for because he can give forgiveness and freedom. And in his account, you, you get to this part of the story, and two things we'll, we'll see this morning, if you like counting as we go along, two things we'll see. The first one, Jesus' rescue, it is offered to everyone. And the second thing is that we'll, we'll need a miracle if we're going to hear it. So here's the first thing. Look, Jesus' rescue is offered to everyone. Let's start with that feeding miracle. If you've got the Bible open in front of you, chapter 8 is where we, we find it. Is we, we come into it. chapter 8, verse 1. Now, I can imagine if you come to this, if you've been following with us through Mark, we get to this, what is the feeding of the 4,000. And you could think, the feeding of the 4,000? Is that even a thing? I mean, just a couple of chapters back, we had the feeding of the 5,000. That, that's, the, that's the real thing, isn't it? What is this feeding of the 4,000? Is this some kind of budget rerun? I mean, it's pretty similar in lots of ways. Verse 1, there's a crowd. They've come to Jesus. Verse 4, they're in a remote place. The, the word can be a kind of wilderness place. Verse 8, Jesus feeds them in a miraculous way. Now, if you've read through the Bible at any length, you'll know that we're meant to hear that and we're meant to think, oh, that reminds me of something. When you hear this account of this feeding, you're meant to think, that reminds me of something. In the Old Testament, God's people at one point were slaves in Egypt. And God came to rescue them. He sent Moses. If you maybe don't know the story from the Bible, but you've seen the cartoon, The Prince of Egypt, 
God sent Moses, and through him, he set them free, and he led them on a journey to take them to a new life and a new home. It was a long journey through a wilderness, a remote place, camping in tents. And on the way, he fed them in a miraculous way for 40 years, sand in the sandwiches uh, on the whole journey, but he, he got them there. Now, it was a genuine rescue for them, for those particular people, but it also became a picture. If you like, this, this kind of event that happened in the Old Testament is, is the Bible picks it up. It keeps looking back to this, and it says, look, this is a picture of the real rescue that God is going to offer to the whole world. The Bible says we're, we're all guilty. We're all captured by sin. We, we can't get away from it. We keep doing wrong things, even when we say we won't do it again. But God said one day He would come and bring forgiveness for the real wrong that we've done and real freedom that would last forever, nothing to, to spoil it. And you hear that, and a, a question you might ask was, look, even if he is going to do that, how would we recognize him when he came? Lots of people claim to have the key to satisfying life. So how would you know? How would you know if the real one has come? It'd be good if he had some kind of calling card, something we could look at and see, yeah, yeah, that that looks like he must be the real one. And if you've got that in mind, you see what Jesus is doing here. As he, he gathers people and he feeds them in a miraculous way in a wilderness location, you're meant to say, oh, I recognize that. That's what God did. That looks like what God did when He came to rescue His people a, a long time ago. It's like a calling card, this, this miracle. It's not less, this one we've just read, it's not less than a miraculous feeding for the people who were there, but it's, it's much, much more than that. Jesus, this is what we're being told here, Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Come for His promised rescue mission. And the way He goes about it as you look at this account, the way Jesus interacts, the things he does, the way he treats people, they're all meant to be telling you. They're all ways where he's revealing to you what he's like. If you've got questions about Jesus, what is he like? How does he operate? What's his heart like towards people? You're meant to look at this and see this is what he's like. What's the kind of life, if I trust my life to him, what kind of life does he he want to bring me into. Do you see it? chapter 8, verse 2? He's compassionate. That's what this God is like. He notices needs, and He cares about providing. He, he notices your needs, if you're here this morning. He cares about providing. How is He going to rescue people? How is this rescue going to work? Uh, several folk in our church family, at various times, you've probably benefited from it, help with cooking. We're always doing sort of meals here as a church family. We always need more people. If you're good with cooking, we always need more people who can help with that. But one of my first experiences uh, here at Christchurch, I think it was uh, Laura and Matthew Kitson who were cooking for a Tuesday Central weekend away, and they showed me the ingredient list. And it was outstanding. The ingredient list was outstanding, and then the meal came, and that was, it was absolutely fabulous. 
totally wonderful. When the kitchen's cook, if you're not experienced it, it feels like heart and soul has gone into it. In this passage, you might not have noticed it, but Jesus is quietly telling us the ingredient list for his rescue mission. Do you notice it? Let me show you. Chapter 8, verse 6. Just have a look at it. Here's the ingredient list for Jesus' rescue mission. See there in chapter 8, verse 6, when he, when he takes the bread and he gives thanks and he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples to share with others who are there. If you read on in Mark's gospel, you get to chapter 14 and the wording is similar to the words he uses at the Last Supper. When he takes bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples. And he says to them, take this, this is my body. And he's talking about the cross, where he would die, where Jesus says he's going to face the consequences for the things that we've done wrong. It'll be innocent for guilty. It will be free for condemned. It will be Jesus for you and for me. Uh, You see, the ingredients of his rescue, uh, when you come to the meal, the real meal of it, it really is heart and soul for Jesus. He's all in for this. And what's his goal for you? Why is he doing all this? What's he after? What does he want for you? Well, at the end of this mealtime in, in Mark chapter 8, you, you see how the crowd are feeling. Do you notice the word that's used there? It says they're satisfied. And then the end of verse 9, when he sends them away, that being sent away, he sends them away, the, the sense of the word is he set them free at that point. Satisfied, they're set free. When it comes to God's rescue offered in Jesus... It is good at times, and we we talk about this often. We've already done it in the service. It's good to talk about it, think of it in terms of forgiveness. And it's right to think that way about it, as long as you don't forget, look, with this forgiveness, there's real compassion. He really does care. And as long as you also know his goal is to bring his people to the kind of life where you can't help yourself saying, it really is satisfying and I really do feel free. Now, you could hear all that and still think, look, we got that from the feeding of the 5,000. All those things were in that feeding miracle. Why do we need this one as well? We, we've already got all that information. Well, well, yes and no. Let me see if I can help you understand why the feeding of the 4,000 as well. Uh, leading up to Christmas, one year when I was much younger, I don't know if you ever did this, my parents were out, and I went looking for all my presents. And I found them all. It was a good, good day for me. I found them all, and I was pretty pleased because there were some amazing presents. Christmas morning, not so pleased because it turned out lots of those presents were for other people and not for me. (laughs) And as I I opened my presents, and then I got to the end of them, I had, I think, a look on my face of, where's where's the rest? I remember my mum saying, "You, you don't look quite as excited as we thought you'd look. And I said, oh, no, no, I really am, because I couldn't admit I'd been looking at all these other ones. What, if you've ever, maybe, you were probably much better than me, you never did anything like that. But uh, I think what I learned at that point was what I hadn't factored in was I was not the sum total 
uh, of my parents' world. I was not the sum total of, of everything uh, that they were about. It, it seemed their generosity, and this was a big surprise to me, even went beyond me. I was not the center of the world. The world did not begin and end with me. It's good for children to learn that, isn't it? At some, some point, you've got to help your children learn that. You're not the beginning and end of the world. There, there's more to you. You, you did things uh, before them, those of you who are parents, remember our boys were younger. They were at school one day. We, we had the day off, and Jules and I went to, went to the cinema. And when they came home from school, they said, what have you done today? And we said, we went to the cinema. And I can remember the scandalous look on their faces where they said, without us. <laughs> A bit of an insight that, that our world doesn't begin and end with them. They are lovely and delightful and precious. And that... For parents, our, our, our generosity might even go beyond our children. It's good for children to learn that. And if you know that, it's good for us to learn that as well, isn't it? It's good for us to learn with God that His life doesn't just begin and end with us. And that His generosity might go beyond us. And if you can have that kind of idea in your mind, you, you remember where, where Jesus is. We've been told, haven't we, over these past couple of weeks, he's gone into a Gentile region. That's where this feeding of the 4,000 takes place. It's not amongst the, the Jewish people. Uh, these people were not part of God's people. They had not been living for him. So you understand what Jesus is saying. My generosity, it really go, does go beyond those who for the longest time seem to have been part of my family. My generous rescue is for the whole world. So who needs what Jesus is offering? I mean, you could think that's the question to ask, and the Bible would say everyone. Whether you've realized it or not this morning, the Bible says you need the, the rescue that Jesus offers. You could think that's the important question, but a more important question, though, really from the Bible is, who will Jesus offer his rescue to? That is a much more important question. Because you could think, the question is really about, do I think I need it or not? And the Bible says, no, the question you want to ask is, will he offer it to you? Who does Jesus offer his rescue to? Um, and as you think about that, like you think about yourself, why would he notice you? Have you done anything that you think would impress the God of heaven? Should he be amazed by you? Why would he notice you? And if you, you think like that, or you could think, do you think he cares about you, this God? You think about yourself and you ask the question, does God care about you? And as you think about that, you come back to this passage and it says, he does. He really does. That's what this passage is here for. He really does care about you in a heart and soul kind of way. He's putting his rescue before you. This is all good news. This forgiveness and freedom, this is good news for you, which is why Jesus' dismay in this story and his warning is such a surprise because here's the shot. The, the, the rescue is offered to everyone but we'll need a miracle if we're going to hear it 
That's the second thing. We need a miracle to hear this offer. You, th- you could think, why would we need a miracle? You've just told us what it is. We're, we're sitting here listening. We've heard it. You've heard it. But look, come back to the story. Do you remember, if we, as we read through it, Jesus sighs a couple of times in it. Chapter 7, verse 34, he sighs once. Chapter 8, verse 12, he sighs a second time. I can't think of another time where he does that. Uh, the first time is when he heals the man who is deaf and mute. And it almost sounds like he's sighing as if it's difficult for him. Like this is a hard thing to do, uh, heal this man who's deaf and mute. But that would be odd given the, the, some of the other things he's already done. And I think what's more likely is Jesus is acting in a labored way to help you and me grasp something. Jesus is saying, look, getting anyone to hear me or see what I'm offering in such a way that they actually take hold of it, that's really difficult. Did you notice, look, all the way through the story, the number of people who don't seem to be listening to Jesus? Verse 36. Did you spot that just as we read? It almost seems comical. He commanded the crowd not to tell anyone what has just happened. He wants to keep it quiet. They go and do it anyway. The disciples, all the way through the story, the the ones who've been closest to them, they seem to be having difficulty with what Jesus is saying and doing. In chapter 8 and verse 18, he says to them, do you have ears but fail to hear? They they don't seem to grasp what he's getting at. And then in this bit, in chapter 8 and verse 11, the Pharisees meet him. And you see how Mark writes it. They came and began, began to ask questions of Jesus. To test him, they asked for a sign from heaven. And the way Mark's written it is hostile. He, he's telling us they've come out for a fight. They want to dispute. They want to discredit Jesus. They're not listening. Which prompts in Jesus a sigh of deep dismay. The rescue that he's offering is being ignored. It's being rejected. And it prompts a warning, chapter 8 and verse 15, where he says, watch out. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod, which I, I take to mean, I'm not really a baker, but I, so if this is wrong, look, just, just pretend it's right uh, for a moment. But I, I think that the way yeast, it, you, you put it in bread and it, it works its way through it, and it's the thing I think that helps it rise and give shape to, to the whole loaf. I think Jesus is saying, look, if If you hear me, and yet you won't listen, that that kind of attitude and that stance, that will begin to work its way through the whole of your life. It will shape the way you grow. Your life will, will start to grow in a way when eventually you won't be able to listen, and you won't notice anymore. And the alarming thing in this passage is this kind of ignoring is seen here amongst the most religious group around which should make you and me more than a little cautious. I read this, and what this is saying to me is, I am someone who is by nature spiritually deaf. I will not listen to God. And if I am going to hear the good news message about the forgiveness I need in such a way that I will say yes to Jesus... I'm going to need more than persuasive arguments. I will need more than helpful talks to listen to, all of which are good, and God makes use of them, but I'm going to need something more. I'm going to need a miracle. And that's true for you, which I think is quite challenging here in Cambridge because many of us are big thinking types, aren't we? 
you're used to thinking well and knowing you've got it right. And Jesus says, the thing is, you are spiritually deaf. You can't even hear. For those of you for whom the message of Jesus seems to just bounce off at times, he's saying, this is the reason you are spiritually deaf. You can't hear this. You can't grasp it just by yourself. You're going to need a miracle. Now, okay, you say, well, if, if that's true, if we need a miracle, well, how do we get it? Because I don't see Jesus walking around our church sighing and touching people on the ears. Now, come back to the passage once more. And just remember what we're being told here. These things, in part, they are signs for us, pointing us in the right direction. Jesus is showing us what to do. If you ask the question, in this story, who are the people who go away satisfied and free? Well, who is that? Who are the people that go away satisfied and free? I'm sorry, can I stop for it? Is there someone you need to get? Louise, but... Louise. Don't worry. It's hard to spot sometimes, isn't it? We're doing blindness next week. Um, <laughs> uh, we found that it was a struggle. There we go. There's a setup. Come back to this passage. Sorry, that, uh, sorry for the slight direct distraction, but somebody downstairs obviously needs their mum very well. He asked the question Who in the story goes away satisfied and free? Oh, it's the crowd. They're the ones, they're the only ones in this story that seems to go away really satisfied and free. What have they been doing? Have a look at with, with me at chapter 8, verse 2. Jesus says, they have been with me three days. And the way he says that, it, it's a positive word. The, the Greek word is, is kind of prosmeno. And it's kind of when he says, they've been with me three days, it, it's in a devoted way. It's giving attention to. I think we're meant to understand they've been listening to him. And at the end of that listening, what they're given is a meal that satisfies before being set free. And it's a picture of the gospel, Jesus giving himself for you to satisfy and set you free. All of which is saying, I think, if you want to have spiritual deafness cured, if you begin to think, maybe I am a bit spiritually deaf, if you want to have that cured, if you want to know if Jesus is really real, if you want to have this satisfying life and this freedom that he offers, he's saying you need to listen in this kind of way. You need to give attention to in a consistent way. Parents with your children, bring them along to church on Sundays. Bring them under the sound of Jesus' words in the gospel. Teenagers, as you come on Sundays, you might think nothing is happening at times. Don't believe it. Jesus is speaking to you, and he's doing the difficult thing of helping your ears be opened so you hear him. If you give yourself to listen to Jesus in this way, Jesus will speak to you, and as he speaks, he will lead you to the gospel to see it for what it is and to grasp it, and in him you'll find satisfaction and freedom. Now, we're going to stop there, but let me just pop up for a moment. We call this little series Table Talk. Here's a couple of questions. Maybe you get people around for lunch today. Maybe you're going to be meeting up with a friend this week. Here's a couple of questions just to keep the conversation going. Look, listening to Jesus is not easy. How can we help each other remember this? Now, what help should we ask for from each other as we aim to listen to Jesus? They could be a couple of questions. 
just to talk with one another about uh, in the week ahead. Uh, the musicians are going to come back up to the front. We're going to be singing a closing hymn in a moment. Uh, but let me just give us an opportunity to, to pause in prayer, pray, uh, and to give you uh, a moment, maybe to ask Jesus, Lord, please would you help me to keep hearing what you say to me. Take a moment just to pray now uh, before uh, we go on uh, and sing together.